Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, guys? Really grateful you guys are listening to the pod. I would love it if you could take just five seconds to leave a rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you might be listening to this. It really goes a long way to spread the message which would allow me to get better guests to add more value to your life. And if you're one of the special people that have helped spread the word on this podcast, I am deeply appreciative of your support. Enjoy the episode. For gaining muscle, what are like the maximum or the least amount of input, which is the least amount of effort that they can do to get the maximum amount of uh, results? The least amount of input, if you only have access to normal equipment and you're not going to go out and spend 75 bucks on resistance bands, (laughs) is... Got it. So like you're, 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 you're open to talking about kind of, I actually don't know the histories. This is my first time hearing about everything around your transition. I thought you were still with Blueproof and Upgrade Labs and all that. So Upgrade Labs is also a different thing or is that part of? Oh yeah. I'm, I'm CEO of Upgrade Labs. We are franchising across the country right now. And a lot of uh, Smarter Not Harder, my new book, I'm explaining why biohacking gives people hours and hours every week back. Most people don't exercise because it doesn't work very well. You spend hours and hours at the gym. I spent 702 hours when I weighed 300 pounds at the gym and I didn't lose any weight mm. and my pants were still a 46 inch waist. So I'm like, I'm getting revenge on all of that time with writing this book and with doing Upgrade Labs because I got the stuff that works. Got it. Got it. So full time you're on Upgrade Labs right now and you're no longer at Bulletproof. That's a separate entity in, in itself. Yeah, Bulletproof is a separate entity. I'm a, I'm a major shareholder. I'm the founder and I'm you know fully supportive of the company. I just don't have anything to do with how it operates. Got it. Got it. I mean, I think most people still know you as the Bulletproof guy. Um, oh, but- I am. I'm, I'm the founder. I'm like the father of biohacking. I started Bulletproof and you know it's a $100 million a year plus company yeah. um, that's doing its thing. And you know hopefully it'll have an exit soon and that'd be great. What's been the transition like for you? I mean, I know every figure that company grows by, it kind of involves different skill sets and different processes and different things that you that require. Did, did you feel that from the days of founding the company, which is like, you know, roll, rolling up your sleeves, you know, trying different formulas out for the coffees and, and really putting yourself out there? Has that process been kind of diminishing as you guys went from eight figures to a nine figure company uh, and you know hopefully a billion dollar company down the road um did you just feel like that wasn't something that was exciting for you anymore you know running a hundred million dollar a year company is a horrible job <laughs> i don't know why anyone would want it it is it's it's an incredible amount of of pressure and it's not like self-imposed pressure it's actually a lot of its regulatory imposed pressure and 
you know, senseless lawsuit pressure from people just looking to scalp something from you. Um, and it, it's just like constant firefighting for meaningless stuff. Mm. Uh, and then a bunch of, um, a bunch of leadership stuff. And no matter how good of a leader you are, a major part of leadership is finding people who are not doing their job either because they're narcissists or sociopaths or just not, they're not at that level. And then telling them you're fired. Mm. Right. And you do your best to help them. But if you try to help a narcissist, they just poison your organization. So how much innovation, how much leadership from a leading the world of biohacking? Like I started this movement. I'm still the leader of biohacking. And for me to do a, you know, CEO of a big company job is a 60 hour a week job. And I'm writing a New York Times bestseller every year or two and do, doing a hundred episodes of the podcast. And I run a thriving biohacking conference where we'll probably have about 5,000 people this year in Florida, by the way, biohackingconference.com. If you want to come hang out with the coolest people in the world. So like all of that, I don't know how to do that and be like a product innovation. So my real job is chief evangelist officer. <laughs> and that means I need a full operating team to run a big company. As it is, I'm running about six companies. I'm running Upgrade Labs, uh, Danger Coffee, uh, 40 Years of Zen, which is my brain upgrade neurofeedback company that's just doing so well. And mm. people come and spend five days with my team upgrading their brains with technology. It's, it's incredible. And then I've got my media company and my conference company, and we're franchising Upgrade Labs. Own and UpgradeLabs.com. Anyone listening uh, can apply to actually own their own Upgrade Labs franchise in their city and help a bunch of people with the stuff we're going to talk about on the show. So that's got me all excited. But I think I'm I'm a startup guy. Like I'm, yeah. I'm an advisor to 25 companies, and I'm making biohacking a multi-billion-dollar industry. That doesn't mean it's all my companies. It means it's companies I help. So I, I'm here more more to serve and lead a movement than I am to, you know, meet with my CFO and my chief legal counsel and my board of directors every five minutes about the latest thing. I, it just doesn't, doesn't make me happy. So yeah. I, I'm grateful there are people who love that and I can hire them. No, I get I'm it. Also grateful, I'm also grateful that there are people who love that and I can fire them if they don't do what they say they're going to do. And I don't like doing that part of any job, but that's the hardest part of being a leader and, and a CEO is I'm sitting someone down who you know, maybe has not your own best interests at heart, or maybe they're just not competent and saying, thank you. <laughs> um, you, this isn't the place for you. And I just, no one likes that, but it's, it's, it's such an important part of the job. I've just had to be good at that. Yeah. And I think we have a lot of entrepreneurs listening to this uh, conversation yeah. as well. And a lot of people are aware of the, the idea that running a hundred million dollar company is very different than running a, you know, six figure or seven figure company. But for you to be self-aware of knowing your strengths and weaknesses, I think that's probably something that a lot of people listening may have still yet to learn. So like, what were the questions? And we'll, we'll certainly get into the, the biohacking stuff right after this. What were kind of the questions that you had to ask yourself to really go deeper into whether you wanted to continue being the operations of Bulletproof or not? But uh, it became pretty clear early on where what are the things that give me energy back and and one of the guys I've interviewed on my show, uh, Dan Sullivan, has been coaching entrepreneurs for 40 years. And he he kind of teaches you this bucket system. And I've actually written about this in, in my my like personal development book called Game Changers. And it's that there's three buckets for everything you do in a day and stuff that takes energy, 
stuff that's kind of neutral. You don't like it, but you could do it. And the stuff that gives you energy. And then you ask yourself, well, what percentage of time do you want to spend on things that suck your energy? And what, what would you say? Uh, probably. Yeah. Like the, you know, analytic like, stuff, they, just like more operations spreadsheets. Yeah. Like I, I relate more to you in terms of being an evangelist and, and innovating. So, so what percentage of your time do you want to spend on stuff that sucks? Ideally zero, right? Exactly. Right. So if you're sitting there and you say, okay, you have three buckets, you want to basically put 70, 80% in stuff that feeds you more energy than you put into it. And then you want 20%. All right. I had to like pay the bills or whatever. Right. And then the other stuff that you hate, that's stuff that you have other people do. And as the company gets bigger and bigger and bigger, you find that the percentage of time you spend in boring meetings about regulatory approval from Canada or some nonsense that truly doesn't matter. And it's just a bunch of you know humans putting barriers in place for each other to increase the number of jobs they have in their government department or something. I'm like, I just don't care. And you can't pay me any amount of money to care. Yeah. So someone else has to do that. And it, and it can't be me because that drains me. Right. And there is someone out there who absolutely is like, oh, my God, I get to go to the DMV. That's so exciting. I love bureaucracy. And like, I, I need those people in my life. I'm just not that person. Mm. Right. So that's what I, I learned. And over time, you realize you're, you're doing more and more of this. So you start taking some of your job and you hire someone to do that part of your job. But most entrepreneurs fail. And I say this having, you know, I'm, I'm an advisor to a large number of companies now where I work directly with CEOs and they do my brain training stuff. And what you find is they have a really hard time letting go because they feel like, you know, if I don't have control of that, it, it's not going to work. I, I remember one time this this really negative guy was was harassing me. It was a company with three people. And he, he was saying, you know, how dare you say this? How dare you do that? And why did so-and-so do this? And I said, you know, the honest answer, I don't know why you did that. And you know, I could find out. He goes, well, how could you not know? And, and I said, do you know everything every member of your team does? He said, yes. And, and I looked at him and said, that's why you have three employees and I have 80. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So it's about culture and trust and integrity and stuff like that. Uh, so it, it's just you have to be willing to let go and trust. And probably where I failed the most is um, not seeing when things are going off the rails or when someone's um, being sneaky. Mm. Right. So one of my books, probably the book after the next one will be about narcissism and sociopathy, because I've, I've had a master class in that multiple times. Interesting. You know? Yeah, there's a reason I'm off my board of directors. There's a reason I've had people embezzle from me. And there's a reason I didn't see it. And now I learned how to see it. Mm. So I have, uh, I have better boundaries than I did. But you, you, you get punched a few times in the face, you learn. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I'd love to know when that book comes out. Uh, and now yeah. you have this new brand called Danger Coffee, which is taking all the lessons you've learned from Bulletproof, all the innovation you've done, and obviously spinning it off into uh, another innovative brand. Um, but it's a totally, it's a totally separate idea. I mean, Bulletproof was about clean coffee, okay. and Danger Coffee is actually about coffee that puts something else back into you. So Danger mm. Coffee is, it says on the label, mold tested, and there's very few brands that do that anymore. And so clean doesn't mean much, but mold tested does mean something. And it's full of trace minerals that everyone is lacking now. And trace minerals affect how liquids get absorbed in your body. So you drink even just black danger coffee. You're like, what just happened? I, I feel different yeah. than I do with, with normal coffee. And it's called danger coffee because who knows what you might do. Hmm. I mean, you're going to have more energy than you did before. And you might start a company. You might ask that girl out. Uh, you're going to do something dangerous because you got your power back. 
And there's two ways of having a peaceful world. In one view of it, everyone is so tired and weak and powerless that they're peaceful. Mm. And in the other one, everyone is incredibly dangerous. Who knows what they might do, but they have so much energy that they do the right thing and that they're nice to each other because they feel good. Mm. And I want to live in that world. So that's why it's called Danger Coffee. By the way, I, one of the things that I admire most about you and why I'm so excited for this human psychology book to come out is I've always thought you were like the master of human psychology and branding is certainly in that subset. Obviously, being able to promote is in that certain set because a lot of that is understanding how humans think and how humans work. And Bulletproof is another example. Danger is another example. But your new book, uh, Smarter Not Harder, talks about the laziness principle. And there you go. <laughs> and, and, and how to make laziness work for us. And it's so like brilliant because humans are naturally lazy, right? It's a reason why we take Xynex instead of uh, you know, trying to meditate and it's, uh, you kind of crafted it so that people can immediately relate to it. Uh, but let's talk about that. So talk to me about what okay. the meat OS is and what the laziness principle is. All right. Inside your body right now, there's an entire operating system that's invisible to you. You're like an application that's been installed on your operating system, right? So what's happening is when you're, uh, when something happens in the world around us, like I snap my fingers, you hear it right away, right? Except you don't. What's really happening is that it takes about, if you're young and your brain works, it takes about a quarter second before your brain gets the first electrical wiggle that says something happened. And if you're over 40 and you haven't hacked your brain, it takes about a third of a second. So I have the brain response time of an 18 year old because I've hacked my brain. <laughs> so mm. um, even then it's a quarter second. So your body had this window where it decides what to do. And even worse, it decides what to show you about the world around you before your brain has any evidence of even hearing it. And once your brain hears it, you still have to interpret what it is. Oh, that was Dave snapping his fingers. You know, it wasn't a car horn or something. So that's about a half a second. There's a lag time in reality that you can't see. Hmm. I didn't know that. But it's present all the time. And it's kind of freaky. So you have to ask yourself, what else is my system doing automatically? And who programmed it? And you realize, oh, my God, it was programmed for survival by the world around you, by your parents, by authority figures, by your teachers, by falling down so many times that it learned how to walk, <laughs> right? It was programmed by the bullies in seventh grade. It was programmed every time you felt like you weren't safe, even if you were safe, you just felt like you weren't safe. And all of that kind of boils down and something happens and someone says something to you and then an, an emotion happens in your body. <laughs> and then you make up a story about it. And this is why we yell at our partners and things like that. And you, you mentioned uh, the, the laziness principle here. Well, that same system, it's wired to make sure we survive famines and that we don't waste any energy. So it feels good to be lazy, right? It obviously takes less work and it's easy to decide to lay on the couch and it's hard work to decide to get up and get dressed and go to the gym, right? It takes a lot of willpower to do it. But there are hacks for this part of your meat operating system. It's looking for ways to save energy. And here's the prime example. Um, you ever go buy some like really nice thing that's on sale and like a leather jacket or something. Yeah. And you come home and you know, you, you maybe you pay 500 bucks for it. Right. 
And, but it was on sale, it was 50% off. So you come home and do you say, hey, I just spent 500 bucks on this jacket? Or do you say, hey, I just saved 500 bucks on this jacket? For sure, the save. The savings feels better than the spending. So what I teach you to do in Smarter Not Harder, it's like, hey, here's something that works six times better than lifting weights or 10 times better than doing a cardio class. So if you could do one minute or five minutes of that, that actually gives you more return, could you celebrate the fact you just saved a half hour? And would celebrating that half hour be more motivational than saying, I'm going to go do something hard for 10 minutes? It is. Yeah. If you're saying less, less so, effort, more results, that's, yeah. that's pretty logical. It, so focusing on the savings, that's how people convince you to buy crap you don't need. Why don't you use that same thing that marketers use against you to convince your meat operating system that it's a good idea to do this? In fact, it's attractive to do this because you're going to save so much pain. Mm. <laughs> so you didn't have to go to the sweaty spin class where it smells like whatever it smells like. And there's someone yelling at you in the front of the class to get up and spin and whatever. And maybe you love that and then you should go. But it, for the rest of us, which is a lot of us who just don't love that, and maybe we go because we're good people and we used all of our energy to make willpower to overcome our inherent laziness. Well, screw that noise. What if we just say, yeah, I'm lazy. I did the thing that took five minutes. I didn't have to change clothes. I didn't have to sweat. Oh, and by the way, I got six times better cardiovascular measurements as a result of my behavior. And then I had a cupcake. It's okay. Like you can do that. Yeah. So it's, it's, it sounds great in theory. Like it, it totally makes sense. And I think everyone can what, agree. What do you mean in theory? Unless I'm just saying, if what I'm saying isn't true. If it is true, does it sound good? The principles. Yes, it, exactly. If it's true, okay. then it, the, now I think I can already imagine people are thinking, okay, but w what exactly are the things that are going to allow me to work less and get better results in less time? Um, so maybe we uh, can go into that. Okay. So in, in Smarter Not Harder, I introduce a new principle, um, we'll say of biology, or at least of biological adaptation. And the way our body works is we receive a signal from the world around us. Uh, and that's in the definition of biohacking. The definition is the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you, so you have full control of your own biology. In Smarter Not Harder, I'm saying, hey, we have enough data now to tell you what signals create what responses fastest. And what we always believed was, well, there's two kinds of exercise. There's running away from tigers and there's picking up rocks or variations on those, right? <laughs> like that's what we do. Yeah. And if you want to get stronger, you just do more of it. So you say, well, I'm just going to get on a bike and I'm going to go to 70% of my max capacity. I'm just going to pound it out like for 45 minutes or an hour, right? And that's going to have to make a big difference. I'm sweating, I'm tired. Well, it turns out that if you use an, AI algorithm to bring yourself to the maximum exertion possible for, it's going to sound really hard, 10 seconds, but then you magically train your body to recover exceptionally quickly, that that quick up and the quick recovery works literally six times better than 70% for an hour. You didn't have to sweat. All you had to do was run away from a tiger like there's actually a tiger, but then recover quickly. So what it is, is we're shaping the signal that goes into your body and the body will change rapidly. There are three studies now that show that this provably works better than all the cardio that you think you have to do to be healthy. So all the people listening are saying, well, I don't really like it, but I get up and I, I go for a run three times a week and I know it's going to make me have cardiovascular endurance. Yeah, you're getting 
basically pennies on the dollar compared to what you could get for that time. Got it. And I, I will just be straight up. I hate exercising. When I weighed 300 pounds, I went to the gym an hour and a half a day, six days a week. And I did this for 18 months straight on a low calorie, semi-vegetarian diet. At the end of the time, I could max all but two of the machines out. And I still had a 46 inch waist. I was still fat. Yeah, I was stronger. I had more muscle mass, whatever, but I was still fat. And I was like, man, maybe, you know, maybe I'm eating too much lettuce because that's all that's left. You know, it, it, it didn't work. So I spent 702 hours on stuff that didn't work. And if I'd have known what I know now, what if I'd known what's in Smarter Not Harder, I would have spent literally 30 minutes a week and I would have gotten much better results. Yeah. And I'm just getting revenge for all that wasted time in the gym that didn't work. It, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so you're saying, just to, just to track back there, mm -hmm. you're saying a minute of, it's basically like hit, right? So it's like intensive, intensive. It's different than, than hit. Okay. It, it's called reduced exertion hit. Hmm. So, so what, it, what, what hit is, is better than doing endurance cardio for improving cardiovascular function, but reduced exertion hit, which is done with, it's done with AI when you do it at its maximum best. Um, but what it is, it's getting your body into this state for just like a couple seconds. But the trick is, is how quickly can you recover? So I use technology to help myself recover faster than I normally would. And, and what is that if you doing? wanted to do this at home? Yeah. Can you do this? Can um, well, do that I talk about it. it. If you wanted to do like the, the, the cheat version, it's not exactly the same, but it's, it's similar enough. And I write about a couple ways to do it in smarter, not harder. But the easiest one is if you were to walk really slowly, like boring, slow in a park, like, like you're, you're sort of, looking at a stick on the ground, you want to walk faster, it's uncomfortably slow, you're super chill. And then without any transition at all, you were to run like there's a rabid dog chasing you for your life. And you did that for 10 seconds. And then instead of walking again, lay on your back and just go directly into deep, slow breathing as fast as you can. It's that rapid transition from I'm going to die all the way back to I'm totally calm. If you can do that transition fast, magically you recover way better and your body adapts way more quickly. Hmm. We're seeing about a 12% improvement in VO2 max, which is a marker of your ability uh, of cardiovascular ability. And really it's even a marker for aging. A 12% improvement is unheard of in six weeks versus a 2% improvement from doing it five days a week for 45 minutes a day. Interesting. Like this level of, oh my God, it's so much better. And at Upgrade Labs, we've got that tech. Same thing with muscles. You can build muscle three times faster than picking up rocks. Mm. And I go through a series of things, some of which you can do at home, that just work better per minute to put muscle on. I exercise with muscle building stuff five to 10 minutes a week. Like I, I don't want to spend, there's nothing wrong with, it. I love yoga. I love hiking. Like I like activities with friends, but keep in mind, I was a 300 pound computer hacker. I still have stretch marks. I'm 8% body fat. I'm never hungry. And I have a, you know, a caffeine tattoo on my arm. I just turned 27% Sean. I'm going to live to 180 years old. If you do the math, I just turned 50. And chronologically, I 50 biological 27, you're saying. Yeah, well, 27% of my minimum of effective useful life, which is 180 years. And I'm serious about that. Like okay. I wrote a big anti-aging book that's been really well received. I really want to go into I that, by the way, it. like longevity. Yeah. I, I love, I love uh, this topic. So we'll definitely go into that. Um, okay. From a high level, what you're saying, 
So it seems like compared to running endurance and, and just like uh, long, long, long endurance, like trying for normal people, like doing like a, a, a hit workout is more effective. So that's kind of like the Pareto's principle, 2080 of that allows people to get similar benefits. What you're doing seems to be the 2080 of the 2080, which, you know, some people like did this math, which is like 4% of your inputs will get you 56 or 60% of the outputs. Uh, so you've really optimized that even further. Well, not really, because what I'm talking about works twice as good as hit, and it takes less time. In what measurements, so, though? In VO2 max. VO2 so max. if you want to know whether your cardiovascular stuff is working, it, VO2 max is the gold standard for that. Okay. And in this one example, I mean, there's there's five domains I teach people smarter, not harder, but just in cardiovascular fitness, this one thing, yeah, we're doubling the effectiveness of HIT, but we're doubling the effectiveness in a tiny fraction of the time and even less in terms of suffering. So it's an order of magnitude better, not an 80-20 kind of thing. Wow, okay. And what if people have goals that are beyond VO2 max, such as losing weight, losing fat, gaining ah, strength, how would those Thank apply? you. When most people say they want to be healthy, in fact, let's do this. You want to be healthy, right? Yeah. How do you define health? Energy. That's a big one for me. Um, reduce inflammation, um, strength, like power, you know, moving, being able to go fast, um, endurance, you know, not panting when I'm going up five flights of stairs which is probably VO2. Those are probably the four major ones, I would say. Got it. Uh, different people will answer that question differently. Almost no one wakes up in the morning and the first thing they think about when they wake up is today, I want to be healthy. Like health is usually like number 12 on your honey-do list. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And most people wake up and they say, you know, today, what am I going to do that's going to make me powerful? What am I going to do that's going to make me successful? Or what am I going to do that's going to make me loved or get to have sex? And we don't decide those things. That's our meat operating system. That's built in. And then we wake up and we think we made those decisions, but those were feelings and desires that, that emerge from our bodies, from our tissues. And there's nothing wrong with that. So when you say health, unless you're really sick, it's just never going to make the top of the to-do list. And this is one of the reasons it's so hard to get, get up and do something that you think is healthy, even if it's not very healthy. Yeah. So what I found from starting the first biohacking lab ever, what is now Upgrade Labs, by the way, ownandupgradelabs.com is where you can open a franchise. We're opening these across the country right now where you can come and do all of the kind of tech that's in the book, but you can also do it at home and you don't have to buy anything. I just teach you better ways. So the five domains that, that I've found over the last 10 years of running a facility in Santa Monica is one of them you hit right on the head, it's energy. And it turns out energy and weight loss are the same goal. Things that give you more energy make you lose weight. And so I, I put those together in the book. Then there's strength, uh, which is something you mentioned. There's endurance. Those are separate goals. If your goal is endurance, you shouldn't be building strength at the same time because it turns out if you want to run marathons, you're not going to have substantial muscle mass. Mm. It doesn't work like that. You suppress growth hormone and you lose muscle when you do endurance or you build for power. Sure. And you can still have some endurance, but if you just only want endurance, it's a different set of things you focus on. And then the thing that 
people oftentimes ask for. In fact, for the first time ever, more people are asking for stress relief or anxiety. Um, well, I don't want to say treatments, but anxiety management for better ability to be resilient um, than they are for weight loss. So and this is just after the last two years of you know, government imposed control stuff where they're saying, you know, I am just overwhelmed. I want to deal with that as a part of my health goal. And then the final one is brain. A lot of people, you know, actually, I'm okay if I have muffin top. I just want my brain to work effortlessly. You know, my, my goal is not to be as you know lean and ripped as I could possibly be. It's that I just want to be able to, to create all day long. I want to be able to think. Yeah. So it turns out for me, the reason I started the biohacking movement is I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a, a tech guy. And for me, the ability to have effortless thinking and creativity and a brain that just works and where I'm just full of energy all the time. I'm happy to weigh 10 extra pounds and have that. It, it just doesn't, it doesn't make a difference to me. And that means I'm different than someone maybe when I was 300 pounds, I would be like, my God, I would do anything to lose this weight. And I did do anything to lose that weight. Right. So our goals are different. So what I do is I teach people in smarter, not harder. Let's pick your top two goals and then let's choose the activities that have the biggest return on investment for those goals. So then you can actually get results that are very fast and you're going, what? Like, did this really happen kind of results? And when it comes to weightlifting, there's all sorts of religious beliefs. Well, you know, you got to do a lot of light sets. You should do some small number of heavy sets. Those are all better. Uh, or those are all better than not lifting weights. But it turns out that there are things you can do that will build muscle three times faster. And it's how do you get a signal into the muscle so that the muscle gets exhausted quickly and it recovers quickly. And when you do that, suddenly sproing, you can put on an inch of biceps in a very small amount of time where it almost doesn't seem believable except, well, you can measure it. Mm. And sometimes, a lot of the time, working out less to get the signal in is better than working out more. Because when you work out more, your recovery takes so long that you miss the recovery window. So when it comes to putting on muscles, even something as basic as resistance bands, they put muscle on quickly, more quickly than working out with gravity. What I do at Upgrade Labs, we have an AI-driven machine where you're resisting a computerized winch that will always win, and it modulates the signal going into your body so you can move a lot more weight than you would move with gravity involved. Yeah. So I teach people all of the hacks for putting a load on your muscles that cause muscles to grow faster than just picking up weight. And so we do the same thing for the other goals. Yeah. It's, it's, so we have a lot of people mm -hmm. that you know, currently may not have access to, you know, in the locations of upgrade labs. Uh, of course. And we're, we're just opening up and all those people should just open a franchise. I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. I'm sure somebody will listen to this, but for the average Joe or average Betty that are just listening <laughs> yep. to this right now, they don't have access to upgrade labs. They're going to a regular gym, uh, or they have access to some stuff at home. If they want to, let's say for one gain muscle, um, and, and then probably the second one would be to lose weight for gaining muscle. What are like the maximum or the least amount of input, which is the least amount of effort that they can do to get the maximum amount of uh, results. And the least amount of input, if you only have access to normal equipment and you're not going to go out and spend 75 bucks on resistance bands <laughs> is, which by the way, is about what your gym membership probably costs anyway. But you go to the gym and you do whether it's a machine or a free weight and you, you lift it and you do an exceptionally slow release of the movement. Hmm that in studies works better than the way most people lift, 
right? And you know, I, I I have great respect for CrossFit. I mean, those guys are some of the 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 leanest and also most overtrained and commonly injured that you'll you'll come across. But the amount of fortitude it takes to do it's impressive. But you rarely see, you know, hey, let's do only five reps, but each rep took twenty seconds to release it. So you're completely dead at the end of that. They're doing the opposite, which is let's go for maximum uh, number of reps that you can do in X amount of time or as, as quickly as you can do 50 of whatever's. And it turns out for building muscle, it's less efficient to say, do as many as you can. It's much more efficient to say really, really, really slow eccentric movements. So you can go to the gym and change that. And then the other thing you do that is really under-respected is within 30 minutes of your workout, you need to have a substantial amount of animal protein. And plant-based protein just doesn't do the same thing. And I talk about why in the book. And the reason you do that is that if you put that signal in your body that says, you may be called on to lift more than you think you can do, and you've got a signal that said, oh, wow, but it's time to grow muscle. If there's no protein present, the body goes into a 48-hour cortisol spike. And if there is protein present, the body doesn't have a cortisol spike. Mm. So what I'm saying here is, okay, Dave, I'm not going to go to an upgrade labs. I'm not going to buy some resistance bands that change the input into my signal. I'm just going to go to the gym the way I did before, but, but I'm going to do five or 10 reps. I'm going to do what you said and do uh, 10 or 20, a very, very slow, as slow as you can letting this thing down. So after five of those, I'm dead mm. and I couldn't do another one. I'm going to do that and I'm going to have my protein right afterwards. You're going to see more results and it didn't take you very long. You can actually do that at home if you have a dumbbell at home. And what I teach people to do and what we focus on at labs is look, if you want to get like a sculpted tricep, you know, back here and you want to like have an amazing one, I don't know if it's angle there, but if you want to get a tricep, I don't have amazing triceps because I haven't done dips in a while, but I don't, I don't train. You have more than most 27 year olds. Let's be honest. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling fine about my body. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Keep in mind, I had a lot of body issues. I really was exceptionally fat. And what I do is I'm like, okay, let's do your chest. Let's do your lats. Let's do your quads and let's do your glutes. And if we do those things, you got enough of a signal to change growth hormone, to change testosterone and to carry enough muscle mass for your brain to work better. And if you have the metabolic benefits, and if you want to be a, you know, a, a fitness competitor, or you want to be really good at your sport, you probably are also going to go to the gym. But the vast majority of your listeners are not playing athletics at that level. And they want to look pretty good. Yeah. And this is what makes you look pretty good. And it's what drives your metabolism to work well. And this is enough muscle mass to drive off all of the aging stuff that happens. Mm. And yes, there's benefits to yoga. I like yoga. I do it on occasion. Right. And there's benefits to all these other things. Just the benefits better be that you got social time and breath work in your yoga class because you don't put on a lot of muscle for that. So I wanted to get my muscle out of the way. If I do that once a week, I look like this and I do it for five minutes. Yeah. I like this like, because okay. I, I really like that advice because I think most people prone are prone to just putting on more weights and most likely getting injured in the process. And what you're saying is, yep. you, I mean, obviously you need some sort of resistance, but it's all about how you approach the exercise with good technique. It's not just putting on more weight, which is, I think, very common for people to think that way. It, it's funny because that meat operating system I talked about, it's constantly doing stuff against your interests. And when you're picking up a, a dumbbell, let's say, or a kettlebell, your body senses that there's gravity. So as soon as you wiggle a little bit, 
it accelerates at 9.8 meters per second squared. That's gravity. And all of a sudden the kettlebell is much heavier. That's why if you kind of do this, it's hard to catch it, mm. right? Well, the body's automated systems realize, well, I can't let this guy exercise at full strength because you'd get injured. So it holds back like two thirds of what you could possibly put on that muscle because it's afraid. And when you change and you pull gravity out, either by using resistance bands or by using this AI computer system we use at Upgrade Labs, then you suddenly are able to put a different load on the body and it goes, oh, I guess I should adapt to that load. And then the adaptation happens very quickly. Yeah. And you can do this for cardio. You can do it for weights. You can do it for meditation. Some meditation maybe is way better than others. And you get more brain benefits per minute or more relaxation and resilience benefits per minute from some than others. Mm. So what I'm doing for each of these five domains, for cognitive function, for strength, for endurance, what are the things that just give you the vast majority of the benefits in almost no time? I want you to do those and celebrate the fact you just saved two hours. And then if you still feel motivated, you know, after that, I still want to go do whatever. I just think that going for a walk with your dog or with your girlfriend or whatever is probably a higher ROI on your time because walking is good for you, yeah, but it's not actually on top. Is it the same advice for losing weight that what you mentioned about resisting slowly? If you put on more muscle mass, you'll probably lose weight better. When it comes to increasing energy in the cells, quite often weight loss is hormone-based, and I talk about that. So if you're low on thyroid uh, or you're low on testosterone, whether you're a man or a woman, it's exceptionally hard to lose weight. It's one of the reasons I wasn't losing weight. Mm. And I talk in the book about how energy happens inside the cells coming on up. So a lot of the things that you do to increase energy and lose weight are not about endurance and they're not about strength, although you need a little bit of those. Yeah. They're actually about training the cells to handle electricity better. And for those, I talk about in the book, things you can do at home that are either breath-based or supplement-based. And when you have access to modern technology for that stuff, we, we do something at Upgrade Labs called pulse electromagnetic frequency stimulation where we use a very powerful electromagnet to open and close your cell membranes quickly. And when you do that and you have the right precursors present, you reboot your cell metabolism and they work better. And in Smarter Not Harder, I, look, I just want people to do this stuff that has the most benefits in the least time. From a supplement perspective, I'm well known for taking like 100 plus supplements a day. Yeah. I'm on an aggressive anti-aging program. And let's face it, I have an unlimited budget for supplements. Like, I, I don't know how much I spend per month on supplements. If I looked, I would probably be embarrassed. How but many it's figures? Be a couple like, a, at least four figures a month? Uh, it's, it's at least like two grand a month, I would guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> but, okay, keep in mind, A, I do this for a living. Yes. B, I used, to, I, I used to have an autoimmune condition. Uh, I was exceptionally fat. And I'm, I'm doing everything you can do, and I write books about it. So I'm willing to invest everything I have in feeling better and having more energy. And I do. I think it's great. I mean, I think I, the reason why I think why people listen to you is because you spend that much money on yourself. I mean, we'll, we'll get into this, but you I mean, you spend probably yeah. over a million dollars. I think you said to try and oh, go and live to it, 180, right? It, it's probably pushing 2 million, but I had to spend almost a million dollars just to get back to baseline. And what motivates me every day is if I had had any of my books when I was 19 years old, I wouldn't have had to do all this crap. Like it would have cost me $20,000 max to get fully healthy from the toxic mold exposure I had. I wouldn't have had fibromyalgia. My brain would have worked. My career would have been much better. And I would have been much less of an asshole for the first half of my <laughs> life before I did a lot of the personal development work. Like a lot of, of good would have come from sure, this. Yeah. And 
the thing is all that time I was desperately trying and I was doing what I thought would work. And I was going off of old information or flawed information. Mm. And so my job now is I'm just going to try it out and I'm going to show people so you don't have to go do all the work. No one needs to take as many supplements as I do. Uh, but what I teach in the book is that there's two supplements that very few people take that are required. And these are not sexy. I would love to tell you about my latest you know, cognitive enhancing nootropic thing. And I, yeah, I do that. But all of these signals you send into your body for, for strength, for endurance, for any of these things, if you don't have minerals, you need the macro minerals and you need trace minerals. If you don't have those, the body cannot adapt the way it's supposed to. We used to get those because we put rock salt to preserve our food and we had minerals in our soil. Soil today is depleted and plant-based diets pull minerals out of your tissues. They don't put minerals in. Mm. So we have an epidemic of soft bones in people, even people who are healthy, the more plant-based you are, the more deficient in minerals you are. And I say this as a devout, well-educated vegan and raw vegan and a guy who really knows what he's talking about. It's just how it works. And the reason is that plants have compounds, several different ones that pull minerals out. So Danger Coffee, what's different there is I put in more than 50 trace minerals in pretty high doses. So when you make a cup of coffee, it's a form of mineral that helps escort liquids into cells, it's electrolytes. And it also has... <clears throat> Um, and it also has um, other minerals in it that can actually go into the cells and restore mineral balance. So when you have enough minerals in your cells, you can do anything better. And the thing that goes along with the minerals is vitamin Dake. It's D-A-K-N-E. Oh, and man. those are the fat-soluble vitamins that drive minerals into your cells. So I don't care if you want endurance or if you want energy, or if you want a brain that works better, or you just want your workouts to work better, if you are lacking in those two things, you're weaker in all aspects. Mm. You're also more likely to get any infection, real or imagined, because the studies show people who don't have enough minerals and are low in vitamin D and the other things that balance it out, they just get sick more often from everything. Yeah. So why don't we all do that before we do everything else? Those are relatively affordable, and we're talking... The vitamin Dake that I make um, for Upgrade Labs, it's a 60-day supply, I think, is like 39 bucks. Mm. So it's 20 bucks a month. And that gets you those. And then minerals are going to cost you about the same amount. And if you, if you drink the Danger Coffee, you're getting minerals in your coffee. And then you've got your baseline handled. And then when you meditate, it works better. When you lift weights, it works better. Mm. Everything works better. And that's core to getting energy back in your cells. So that's like the foundation. And that's where weight loss you're happens. Saying. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when I first got into nutrition and started studying, I think the first default and what most you know, big wholesale companies will, will sell in Costco or anything like that is just multivitamins. So what are your thoughts on just taking multivitamins and not separate things like vitamin D or, you know, omega-3, anything like that? I have kind of a love-hate relationship with multivitamins. The vast majority of the ones out there don't do very much. And it's because when you put all those things together, they usually use the lowest quality forms mm. and they simply can't be absorbed. And it doesn't matter what you eat. It matters whether you can absorb what you eat. And that's why animal protein works better than plant protein because you can absorb it better. And if you think about it, you know, if you say took a cyanide pill, but the pill didn't break apart, the cyanide's not dangerous. So really it's not whether you took cyanide, it's whether the cyanide could enter your body after you took it. 
And what we're doing is we're eating a lot of low quality multivitamins that don't work very well or ones that aren't composed very well. So if you're willing to take a multivitamin that has, you know, six pills or more in it, that probably has just enough space to get the basics in that you need. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are promising results from, you know, one a day or three a day formulas that are very hard to achieve. Mm -hmm. So it, it turns out you're probably better off skipping a multivitamin and taking a mineral complex, which is two or three pills <laughs> and taking vitamin D, which is one pill. And that's going to do more for you than some multivitamin with usually you know, forms of vitamin B that aren't ideal. Yeah. You may not need any more supplements than that, but you may also say on top of that, why don't I take the cognitive enhancing one because my goal is brain? Or why don't I take one that's really designed for energy metabolism in my cells because I want my energy back? Yeah. And so I feel it works better to do foundation and then goal-based supplements. And the, the line of supplements that we have at Upgrade Labs is around goals rather than a multivitamin for everyone. Yeah. Just to circle back, Dave, um, did I hear that you, you, you're currently um, a vegan right now? You're dedicated vegan, right? Now? No, no. I was, a, I was a vegan. I was a raw vegan um, years ago. Let's see. I did that from 2002 to 2004. What was that like? And, you know, at first I was like, I love this. This is the answer. You know, I, I actually, I'd already lost the vast majority of my weight on keto diets. Back then we called it the Atkins diet, but I could never get like the last 25 or 30, or 30 pounds. I would hang out at about 220 pounds mm. and probably 200. That's about where I am right now. Maybe 203 or something is about right for me when I have enough muscle. Yeah. I'm like, I, like I said earlier, about 8% body fat right now. Wow. And I don't strive for low body fat. It's just a side effect of what I do. Right. Like it, I'd be fine if I was 12. It, it just, it isn't, it, it, as long as you're under about 12, you're fine. And even if you're under 15, you're probably fine if you do stuff right. So um, you were asking me about the, what it was like when I went vegan. I actually got down to 185 pounds and I'm like, this is great. And some of my friends are like, Dave, you're kind of looking gaunt. And I'm like, no, no, I'm just losing weight. You're just not used to seeing me this way. And I had all this crazy energy. Yeah. Right now that happens. That's real. And that's what I call the vegan trap. So after about six weeks of being on a plant-based diet, which means you only eat plant-based oils during that time, the body starts to panic and it says, oh my God, I'm not getting any of the types of fat that are good for my metabolism, these saturated fats. So in the short term, it turns up thyroid hormone, which turns up energy. So you get that kind of flighty, ungrounded, angry vegan thing that we all know, even if we say, how dare you say that? Well, I, it's because I'm dangerous. That's why I said it, because I did it. And what you get is that feeling. And okay, that's energy, but your emotions are harder to regulate. It, it actually happens. And for me, I said, well, okay, now I'm starting to get like weird pains and things like that in my body and my joints hurt and I'm having some rashes, but it's not the vegan diet because that thing works so well. I'll just be even more vegan. Like I'll double down on it. Right. Well, how do you be more and, vegan? What does that mean? Like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, you're vegan, but may, I just need to be raw vegan. Right? Uh, I'm going to make sure that, you know, when I heat that stuff, it's only heated to 108 degrees and, you know, let's not do honey because an animal touched it or whatever. And like you, you try all these things and I just need more superfoods. You know, I'm going to buy this, you know, God knows what all's, you know, 100 different foods all ground up into, into a powder. And, Eventually, I started breaking teeth. I like really temperature sensitive teeth. The two of them shattered wow. just from normal eating. That's mineral deficiency. And I was like blending and sprouting and doing like all the healthiest vegan things you could ever do. And 
taking supplements while I did it. So um, while that happened and I got a lot of food sensitivities and more autoimmunity than I'd ever had before by the time I figured it all out. The reason I figured it out is I went on a, a trip to Nepal and Tibet and I went uh, to a bunch of other countries uh, in the East and I wanted to learn meditation from the masters. I, I've done a lot of meditation and personal development work. And I'm like, I'm not eating raw food in Tibet because there isn't any. Like you have, you know, canned food and nuts or something. That was it. So I just stopped being a vegan and a raw vegan because of travel. And I did for a while become a raw omnivore. I added raw meat back in because I still wanted to be oh, raw. Yeah. Um, long before Liver King and guys like that. But you know, you can take thin slices of steak and and put vinegar on them and put them on a salad, and it's like, you know, it's steak tartare. But like I said, I'll do anything to be healthy. That stuff just doesn't work very mm. well. And what I realized is that the reason we cook a lot of our vegetables and the reason that we used to ferment and do all these weird things to grains is to reduce the plant toxins so that we could better tolerate the food. So raw isn't very good and plants are full of toxins. Mm. It's great. If you're starving, you can eat grains. If you have not enough money to afford a higher quality food, grains are better than having no calories, but they're calories that come with mineral depletion and irritation of the gut and the immune system. So it's like better than starving, but if you make that the cornerstone of your plant-based environmentally conscious diet, A, it it's not good for you, it's bad for the soil, and it's actually bad for animals because we will have no animals. So I only eat grass-fed animals. I've run a regenerative agriculture farm for about the last eight years. Uh, I eat the animals that I raise. And sometimes I eat grass-fed animals from other farms, but I'm a conscious meat eater. And I do not know how to have the body that I do and the brain that I do and to age at the rate that I am aging, which is backwards, without animal protein from healthy animals. Let's stop industrial animal production right now, but let's stop industrial farming with glyphosate and that farming kills every animal that lives on the land. There's no more butterflies. There's no more turtles, no more salamanders, no bunnies, no cute mice, nothing. It's sterile earth. I don't want to eat that food either. Yeah. Would you make a similar argument for people going the other direction? Uh, you know, the carnivore diets, let's say they're eating grass fed meat, but that's the only thing that they're eating. And it's a similar trap, right? Meaning that, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about this, where you get this burst of energy, and mm -hmm. you're like, this is the best thing that I've ever done. Why didn't I do this before? And people are going nuts. And I'm wondering, like, what are the side effects that maybe you found <laughs> from being a vegan after many months that you didn't, uh, you know, right. know in the beginning because of this trap? So obviously, you have way more research that, than I do on this. This is a great and very insightful question. It turns out the keto trap and the carnivore trap are the same as the vegan trap. Huh? I did... Uh, as I was developing the Bulletproof Diet, this is my diet book that's helped people lose about 2 million pounds over the past 10 years. And it echoed a lot of the trends we've seen over the last 10 years, not echoed, I guess it preceded. But the first chapter, I talk about lectins. There's a, a whole big lectin movement. I talked about oxalic acid and kale and spinach. There's a big movement on that. I was on Joe Rogan like seven years ago. I was like, Joe, you got to stop the kale smoothies, man. And it took him like seven years later. He's on with Mike Tyson saying, yeah. I quit eating kale because of the oxalates, right? It, it, it happens. Oh. So these are things that, that we're all becoming aware of over time. And as I was developing the Bulletproof Diet, I said, well, I'm going to try the full keto. I ate meat and eggs and butter. And, and I ate 4,000 calories a day. And I was going to do it for like a month and not, not gain weight 
and say, look, I should have gained 20 pounds with the amount of calories I'm eating. I only gained two pounds. It's all done. I also restricted my sleep and stopped exercising. I set myself up to get fat. I actually lost weight doing that. And this is that thing. Well, man, this is great. So after three months of it, I gave myself an egg allergy because you get leaky gut on the carnivore diet. The reason I wrote that whole Bulletproof Diet book is that cyclical keto works great. But if you if you become a keto bro, no, dude, if I ever eat a carb again, I'm a bad person. That's going to make you sick. And if you say, I'm never going to eat an animal product again, that's going to make you a sick person. You got to cycle. Mm. And so I'm fine with ketosis. I'm fine. Do do vegan for a month, but stop for God's sake. Do carnivore for a month, but stop for God's sake. And the real thing that works is eat animals and less inflammatory plants during the week and fast occasionally and do some intermittent fasting. And you can do that forever. And that actually supports the earth. Because if those animals come from regenerative agriculture farms, we will build soil and soil is the biggest carbon sink we have on the planet. We run out of topsoil in 60 years. And it's not because of carbon dioxide, big companies. It's not because of cows. It's because of industrial farming and it's because of a lack of regenerative ag. And if you think the answer is to stop eating all animals, it just means that farmers will stop having any animals and we'll have a world devoid of animals with sterile soil holding up crops of glyphosate, holding up stalks of glyphosate soaked corn. And it's a horrible, horrible world that doesn't support any life, including humans. We must have animals to have healthy soil. And I say this as a regenerative farmer with three acres of plants and 25 sheep and 25 pigs and three cows and some chickens. Like this is how it works. Yeah. Anyone who doesn't believe me, go start a fucking farm and try mm. it. You can't do it without animal poop. Yeah. So it is good to be cyclical instead of super strict on that. What exactly is that range? So you said six weeks, you started to see the diminishing effects as a vegan. What other time? You usually hit, it depends on, on men and women right. and by the way, intermittent fasting is the same trap. Is it? <laughs> I've written a whole book called Fast This Way. Oh, wow. oh yeah. I've been intermittent fasting. Um, you saw, okay. it, I, I do intermittent fasting too. I'm, I'm a huge fan. It was also part of the Bulletproof Diet. So like Jack Dorsey was an early adopter and, you know, he's been doing the butter and coffee thing for a long time. And, and he you know, got well known because he was saying, well, I only eat one meal a day, Monday through Friday. And then I just don't eat on the weekends. And like, that's like overtraining. Mm. It, you can overdo it because you feel really good intermittent fasting. It's way better energy. So women typically hit the I'm over fasting trap if they intermittent fast all day, every day, you know, eat one meal a day kind of things. It takes about a month, sometimes six weeks. Guys, it takes six to eight weeks. So we're a little bit slower. And the first thing you'll notice is my sleep quality just went down. Like I, I wake up, I feel like I didn't sleep. If you track your sleep, then you feel like you actually see the numbers going down, like the quality isn't as good. You go, huh, what could that be? Well, that's what it is. And if you keep going, then with women, they experience more PMS or changes in their cycle. With guys, we wake up without a kickstand. And if you keep going, both men and women get thinning hair. And that's because we are having problems with our thyroid at that point. And the plants are worse for your thyroid than the animals. But what happens if you cycle and you say, well, I don't eat breakfast most mornings, but sometimes I do. And on days when I'm tweaked, I might have protein and fat for breakfast. So it turns out fasting based on your current state works really well. And it's part of what I teach you in in, uh, Smarter, Not Harder. It's that your current state 
is really important for determining what to do. When you walk into an upgrade labs, we do an assessment with a medical quality machine that looks at the electrical capacity of your cells and where fat, muscle, and water are deposited in your body. And if you come in and you're like completely blown out, you're jet lagged, you're highly inflamed, and saying, I want to get swole, I'm going to be like, yeah, right. You're just going to go straight to the recovery side of the house. And we're going to get you to recover because you can't build muscle if you exercise right now. Mm. Your body's not set up for it. And if you come in saying, I need relaxation, and you're already fully fully there, it's like, how, how about we do some stuff that helps you with cellular energy metabolism because your body's ready to improve. So you look at your current state. So I will say intermittent fasting is great. But if you overdo it, you'll get sick. And I'll say carnivore, fine, do it for a little while. But unending carnivore isn't a great strategy for almost everyone. But some people, it's what they need for whatever case. I have yet to find someone who has the most energy, power, and longevity from a vegan diet. It just doesn't work, even a very conscious one. It's not good for humans. It's bad for animals. And it's even bad for the planet, which is why I just don't support it. It is... It is not what they are telling you it is. It's an excuse to sell you potato chips as a plant-based food and to feed you the cheapest stuff possible. Human kibble is what Beyond Burger is. Hmm. That's, um, I mean, data doesn't lie, right? I mean, there, there is not enough evidence, I feel, based on how recent these diets are to show how long people can live because these are only out for 20, 30, 40 years, some of them. Oh, like how would you know? Th there is evidence. Uh, there is evidence in what, in what sense? Well, we have uh, David Sinclair, who's a friend who's, who's been on my right. show, talking about reversing cellular aging. And there's a company called True Age that uses 400,000 measurements of DNA methylation to determine your biological age using something called the Horvath clock. So this is deep PhD level Nobel Prize kind of biology stuff. I've measured my age. I'm 11 and a quarter years younger than my biological age right now. So mm. you can put someone on a plant-based diet. And if they were on a Coke and Pizza Hut diet, maybe going vegan is better than that. In fact, I'll tell you it probably is. But eating a, a diet of low inflammation plants plus grass-fed animals is going to make their biological markers of inflammation and all their markers of aging as good as they're going to mm. get. So they have data on this where they've compared. Absolutely. Using. We have data on Interesting. that. Interesting. Okay. Um, and there, there is a, there's a group of people who argue for a high carb, low fat diet for longevity. Uh, I do not believe there's evidence uh, for that. And the evidence they're relying on is a little bit flimsy and it has to do with something called mTOR, but that's going to be a, a very complex, you know, biology conversation. That's going to go for about 10 minutes. We probably don't want to go there on your show. Um, but um, I will tell you, eating a high sugar diet is bad for you. Eating a high plant oil like uh, omega-6 seed oils, that's just provably bad for you. People don't know it, but if you eat a bowl of French fries, you're going to have inflammation for 48 hours. If you smoke a cigarette, you have eight hours of inflammation. I don't do either one, but if you put a cigarette and you put a, a big plate of French fries cooked in canola oil in front of me, I would choose the cigarette if I had to pick one. Okay, so this kind of leads us into longevity, which is m one of my favorite topics, and, and I know it is for you as well. You spent now at this point over a million dollars to lower your biological age. You're 27 biologically, and you want to live to. No, I'm 27% biologically. Percent. I am okay. whatever 50 minus 11 and a quarter is. So I'm 39 or something yeah. biologically. And you want to live to 180. 
So at least no one's done that. Obviously, what are the th- mm. has some has someone lived to 180 already? Well, it depends on how far back you want to look and what you believe. But I've got a book on my shelf over here from a guy. There's tons of evidence. He lived to 185 in India. It was written by the grandfather of his caretaker when he was still alive. Really? Maybe he lied. We don't really know. But there's a few corner cases out there. Um, I wish I could tell you the name of the book. I, I just moved to Austin and I haven't unpacked all my shelves, but it's in my collection. And it's a fascinating and very hard to read book. But, you know, the, the guy basically every 10 years or something would go into a cave and do some incredible number of things to reset himself. Wow. And maybe it's all bullshit. I don't maybe know. He was but vegan. we do know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you actually funny. just lived on air and butterfly. No <laughs> yeah. But the, the main point here is that currently our oldest person is about 120. Mm. Okay. That person, let's see, 120 years ago, 1903. We haven't invented DNA. We haven't invented mitochondria. Not that you know they were there. We just didn't know about them. We couldn't manage them. We had no antibiotics. World War One was going to be fought on horseback still with biplanes as the first airplanes we ever had. Um, they didn't have the ability to fight infectious disease. Um, these people smoked and drank every day, ate bacon, ate a high saturated fat diet. And without any of the modern advantages, they made it to 120. So here's my basic supposition. Given that we have the internet, and that you and I can have this conversation and that I can search hundreds of thousands of medical papers for free at any time. And so can everyone else. Yeah. And I can order any kind of food from anywhere on the planet that I want. I can control every variable in my environment. If we can't do 50% better than our current best in the next hundred years. Okay. Think about that. I just, just the last hundred years of progress. If we can't do that with artificial intelligence, with all these things, it's either because a comet hit the planet or it's because uh, an AI system wiped us all out or some kind of weird calamity, right? Maybe Elon's right. Mm. But it's inevitable that you and me and many, many other people are going, to live, are going to live way longer than Mother Nature ever intended and longer than we think. And it's going to change the world because we have an epidemic of a, a lack of wisdom, it used to be that you'd go to the elders and they were revered and their brains worked and you'd sit around the fire and they would tell you, son, you really don't want to go out with her. You guys are a terrible match. And you go, but how could you know grandfather elder? He goes, cause I did it twice when I was 23. Right. And we pass our right. knowledge down and that's where the good hunting ground is. And this technique works so much better and you wouldn't expect it. The reason I'm sitting here in front of you is that when I was in my mid twenties and I was so sick, I went to an anti-aging nonprofit group that met near Sanford University in, in uh, Palo Alto. And I started learning techniques from people who were three times my age, my elders. And they told, they taught me so much. And soon they asked me to be president and chairman of this nonprofit. So I'm like this kid compared to these guys. My 88-year-old board member, Mike, had three times my energy. He called me 1130 at night. <laughs> like, Dave, I had the best idea ever. We got to do this. And he's like, hold on. His girlfriend who's 36 is yelling at him. And I'm like, how is this even like this? This blows my mind because this guy can run circles around me and he's yeah. old. Well, imagine a world full of people. If you knew that you were going to be eating the plastic wrapper that you threw in the ocean, are you going to do it? No, having a long, long time frame like that is really, really important and powerful. Yeah. So my understanding is with 
when it comes to average longevity, that the data was skewed because most newborns were dead. And obviously we had the world wars and everything and all of these things kind of skewed. And before when people were back in, you know, the 1900s or the 1800s, most people just died because of war or, or lack of antibiotics. And now it seems like when someone gets to a hundred, most people are just saying, ah, that person died of old age. You know, it was about time. And this kind of brings me back what David Davis Sinclair said, which is advocating to call death a disease, something that can be cured. And um, so I wanted to dig in a little bit about like, once you're past 140, 150, 160, like what are at this point, what are the things that can actually kill us? Well, I would argue that death is not a disease. Death is inevitable. Even if we're immortal, the universe will collapse in on itself at some point. So death is, is a thing. It's like birth. It happens. And I'm, it, it's not a bad thing. It's aging that's the disease. So my real goal is not to live to 180. It's to die at a time and by a method of my choosing. By a method. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to die of old age. I don't want to die of disease. I don't want to die of a piano falling out of the sky and hitting me. I want to be like, I did what I came here to do. I'm at peace with everything. I'm done. And that is a good death. Mm, interesting. And what is, this is going to sound a little morbid, but one is what is the best way to die if you could choose from a method perspective? I think that's a real personal question. Yeah. So I would say if you look at what the the sages, like the ascended master people from many different traditions do, they sit down and they say, I'm getting ready to die. And they tell their friends to come and they say goodbye. And then they sit there and they leave their body and they're dead. That is a very, very uh, enlightened kind of perspective on things. I'd love to get to that stage. I don't think I'm there. So what would be like the most fun thing you could possibly do uh, when you're dying would probably be the way to do it. If you're truly done. Uh, so I haven't really thought about it much, but um, I could see, um, I mean, if you're looking for painless, it's probably like a massive morphine sort of thing that feels really mm. good. Um, there's a lot of work now with psychedelics on becoming comfortable with death. When people are in hospice and they do a, a journey with psychedelic mushrooms, their fear of death goes down dramatically. Um, the important thing is to die in a state that is not full of fear. Yeah. Um, so that said, what would I do because of who I am? I kind of like the idea of going skydiving without a parachute. Cause it would be so fun to just be like free falling, like I'm really old and I'm ready to go. And just, then you're done. Uh, but I think it might be messy. So I probably would. Fascinating. Yeah. There's a great fable. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't thought about that before. <laughs> well, there's a great fable about Alexander the great, where he said that when he dies, he wanted to be surrounded by loved ones, but there's three requests that he had. Number one, he wanted his coffin carried by the best doctors that he was around him. Um, the second one was he wanted all of his wealth, whether it's the, you know, the gold that he had to be spread across the land. And then the third, he wanted his hand chopped off and hung on the trees for everyone to see. And the idea there is that no amount of doctors that are great and, 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 and powerful mm -hmm. can cure death. The second one is that no matter how many riches you have and how much power you have, it's still gonna remain on the ground by the time you die. And the third thing is you come into this world empty-handed and you'll also leave empty-handed. And I thought that was like um, a very beautiful way. I don't know if this is true or not. This might be the whole India guy from 880 wow. years old. I, I I love this, man. That it It's so good. And um, the idea of spreading your, your wealth around, absolutely. 
And a lot of people love that. You know, what do you want your legacy to be kind of question? And I'm always, I'm always kind of bothered by that one. Like if, if you're doing what you do, so people will think good things about you after you're dead, I think you're missing the boat. Mm. <laughs> like nothing I do is to create a legacy. I, I don't care if anyone ever says my name other than my, my kids and my friends. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I, when I'm done here and I know some of the ideas I've introduced are, are like global wide, like biohacking is a global movement now. It's a real thing. And I'm, I'm grateful for that every day. And I, I think it's, it's going to reverberate. Whether my name's tied to it 100 years now, I don't care. <laughs> Unless I'm still alive and I'm still doing this, then I care. Well, for, right. So, yeah. for someone that wants to live to 180, what is your relationship with death? Uh, I absolutely welcome it when it's time uh, and I have no fear of it. And I've done a lot of work. I, I've done shamanic training, I, I've studied all these esoteric lineages. Um, I have chosen to, as a rational belief, to believe in reincarnation. And I was raised as an atheist, uh, and then I became an agnostic, and I, I'm still open to everything. But number one, I, I've, I've, without the benefit of pharmaceuticals, I've experienced past lives that I have just no doubt about, uh, and things that just you, you couldn't make up. But even if I take that aside, here's the rational approach to it. If you believe that death is the end, you will fear death and you will live your entire life trying to avoid it and you'll be fearful and you'll just make bad decisions. If you instead choose to believe that reincarnation is real, when you're done, it's like starting the video game over again. Mm. Okay, so your fear of death goes down and then you make better decisions in life. Now, if you're right, then you'll lead a good life and you'll come back reincarnated better. And if you're wrong and you die, you won't know you are wrong. So you win either way. So the only rational approach you should just decide that you believe in reincarnation because it makes life better for you, regardless of the truthfulness of it or not. Oh, wow. I've never heard someone frame it that way. I've, I've, no one's ever said that that I know of, but that's, that's my belief after a lot of contemplation. Uh, so my relation with death, I could die tomorrow and I'd be okay with it. I don't think my family would be that happy about it. And, you know, I wouldn't feel like I was done, but it's the same as being born. It's an inevitable thing. So why would you fear the inevitable? You should welcome it and do it with grace. Mm. Well, speaking of the end, I think this is a great way to close it off, Dave. Um, it is. really enjoyed this conversation. Obviously, we want people to know about your, uh, your book, uh, Smart Not Harder. So Maybe we can get it up there as well. Smarter Not Harder. And, and I, I would just ask, if this interview is cool, if, if whoever's listening, if my work has made a difference for you, I'd love it if you just did me the courtesy of ordering the book now. Just go anywhere you like to get books, smarter, not harder. And when you do that, um, it helps the book at the New York Times list. I've already been on the list four times. This isn't for my ego. <laughs> this is because when it hits the list, it helps others discover this kind of work. I know that when you read this book, you're going to save hundreds and hundreds of hours of your life, and you can apply this to anything that's valuable to you. And that's why I wrote the book. I did not write it to get rich. You don't get rich writing books. It's actually thousands of hours of work that goes into it. I wrote it for you. And if you would order it now, smarter, not harder, anywhere you like to do it, I'd be grateful. Yep. And leave a review as well, because I think that also helps spread the word out. Amen. Um, thank you, Sean. Yeah, thank you so much, Dave. Anywhere, anywhere else people can point out to and, and learn more about you as well? Sure. If you go to DaveAsprey.com, that's where kind of the nexus, there's 3,000 articles. There's 1,000 hours of video. Uh, and I'll teach you everything I know. And mostly I'll just do it for free unless you want to buy a book because it matters. Beautiful. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Dave, again, appreciate all the uh, great insights and just for a great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Likewise, Sean. Great questions. All right.